Part 1, Chapter 17 of Ships That Pass in the Night. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ships That Pass in the Night by Beatrice Harridan. Chapter 17 A Return to Old Pastures. She had left him alone and neglected for whole hours when he was alive and now when he was dead, and it probably mattered little to him where he was laid, it was some time before she could make up her mind to leave him in the lonely little Petershoff cemetery. "'It will be so dreary for him there,' she said to the doctor. "'Not so dreary as you made it for him here,' thought the doctor. But he did not say that. He just urged her quietly to have her husband buried in Petershoff, and she yielded.' so they laid him to rest in the dreary cemetery. Bernardine went to the funeral, much against the disagreeable man's wish. "'You are looking like a ghost yourself,' he said to her. "'Come out with me into the country instead.' But she shook her head. "'Another day,' she said, "'and Mrs. Reffold wants me. I can't leave her alone, for she is so miserable.' The disagreeable man shrugged his shoulders and went off by himself. Mrs. Ruffold clung very much to Bernardine those last days before she left Petershoff. She had decided to go to Wiesbaden, where she had relations, and she invited Bernardine to go with her. It was more than that. She almost begged her. Bernardine refused. "'I have been from England nearly five months,' she said." and my money is coming to an end. I must go back and work. Then come away with me as my companion, Mrs. Reffold suggested, and I will pay you a handsome salary. Bernardine could not be persuaded. No, she said, I could not earn money that way. It would not suit me. And besides, you would not care to be a long time with me. You would soon tire of me. You think you would like to have me with you now, but I know how it would be. You would be sorry, and so should I. So let us part as we are now, you going your way and I going mine. We live in different worlds, Mrs. Ruffold. It would be as senseless for me to venture into yours as for you to come into mine. Do you think I am unkind? So they parted. Mrs. Ruffold had spoken no word of affection to Bernardine, but at the station, as she bent down to kiss her, she whispered, "'I know you will not think too hardly of me. Still, will you promise me? And if you are ever in trouble, and I can help you, you will write to me?' And Bernardine promised. When she got back to her room, she found a small packet on her table. It contained Mr. Ruffold's watch-chain. She had so often seen him playing with it. There was a little piece of paper enclosed with it, and Mr. Ruffold had written on it some two months ago. Give my watch-chain to little Brick if she will sacrifice a little of her pride and accept the gift. Bernardine unfastened her watch from the black hair-cord and attached it instead to Mr. Ruffold's massive gold chain. As she sat there fiddling with it, the idea seized her that she would be all the better for a day's outing. At first she thought she would go alone, 
and then she decided to ask Robert Allitson. She learned from Marie that he was in the dark room, and she hastened down. She knocked several times before there was any answer. "'I can't be disturbed just now,' he said. "'Who is it?' "'I can't shout to you,' she said. The disagreeable man opened the door of the dark room. "'My negatives will be spoiled,' he said gruffly. Then, seeing Bernardine standing there, he added, "'Why, you look as though you wanted some brandy.' "'No,' she said, smiling at his sudden change of manner. "'I want fresh air, a sledge drive, and a day's outing. Will you come?' He made no answer, and retired once more into the dark room. Then he came out with his camera. "'We will go to that inn again,' he said cheerily. I want to take the photographs to those peasants. In half an hour's time they were on their way. It was the same drive as before, and since then Bernardine had seen more of the country and was more accustomed to the wonderful white scenery. But still the white presences awed her, and still the deep silence held her. It was the same scene, and yet not the same either, for the season was now far advanced, and the melting of the snows had begun. In the far distance the whiteness seemed as before, but on the slopes near at hand the green was beginning to assert itself, and some of the great trees had cast off their heavy burdens, and appeared more gloomy in their freedom than in the days of their snow bondage. The roads were no longer quite so even as before. The sledge glided along when it could, and bumped along when it must." Still, there was sufficient snow left to make the drive possible and even pleasant. The two companions were quiet. Once only the disagreeable man made a remark, and then he said, I am afraid my negatives will be spoiled. You said that before, Bernardine remarked. Well, I say it again, he answered in his grim way. Then came a long pause. The best part of the winter is over, he said. We may have some more snow, but it is more probable that we shall not. It is not enjoyable being here during the melting time. Well, in any case, I should not be here much longer, she said, and for a simple reason, too. I have nearly come to the end of my money. I shall have to go back and set to work again. I should not have been able to give myself this chance, but that my uncle spared me some of his money, to which I added my savings. "'Are you badly off?' the disagreeable man asked rather timidly. "'I have very few wants,' she answered brightly, "'and wealth is only a relative word after all.' "'It is a pity that you should go back to work so soon,' he said, half to himself. "'You are only just better.' and it is easy to lose what one has gained. "'Oh, I am not likely to lose,' she answered. "'But I shall be careful this time. I shall do a little teaching, and perhaps a little writing. Not much. You need not be vexed. I shall not try to pick up the other threads yet. I shall not be political, nor educational, nor anything else great.' "'If you call politics or education great,' he said, and heaven defend me from political or highly educated women. 
"'You say that because you know nothing about them,' she said sharply. "'Thank you,' he replied. "'I have met them quite often enough.' "'That was probably some time ago,' she said rather heartlessly. "'If you have lived here so long, how can you judge of the changes which go on in the world outside Petershoff?' "'If I have lived here so long,' he repeated in the bitterness of his heart, Bernardine did not notice. She was on a subject which always excited her. "'I don't know so much about the political women,' she said, "'but I do know about the higher education people. The writers who rail against the women of this date are really describing the women of ten years ago. Why, the Girton girl of ten years ago seems a different creation from the Girton girl of today. Yet the latter has been the steady outgrowth of the former.' "'And the difference between them?' asked the disagreeable man. "'Since you pride yourself on being so well informed.' "'The Girton girl of ten years ago,' said Bernardine, "'was a sombre, spectacled person, carelessly and doubtily dressed, "'who gave herself up to wisdom and despised everyone "'who did not know the Agamemnon by heart. "'She was probably not lovable, "'but she deserves to be honoured and thankfully remembered.' She fought for women's right to be well educated, and I cannot bear to hear her slighted. The fresh-hearted young girl, who nowadays plays a good game of tennis and takes a high place in the classical or mathematical tripos, and is book-learned without being bookish, and— What other virtues are left, I wonder? he interrupted. And who does not scorn to take pride in her looks because she happens to take a pride in her books? continued bernardine looking at the disagreeable man and not seeming to see him she is what she is by reason of that grave and loveless woman who won the battle for her here she paused but how ridiculous for me to talk to you in this way she said it is not likely that you would be interested in the widening out of women's lives and pray why not he asked have I been on the shelf too long? I think you would not have been interested even if you had never been on the shelf, she said frankly. You are not the type of man to be generous to woman. May I ask one little question of you, which shall conclude the subject, he said, since here we are already at the guest house. To which type of learned woman do you lay claim to belong? Bernardine laughed. "'That I leave to your own powers of discrimination,' she said, and then added, "'If you have any.' And that was the end of the matter, for the word spread about that Herr Allitson had arrived, and everyone turned out to give the two guests greeting. Frau Steinhardt smothered Bernardine with motherly tenderness, and whispered in her ear, "'Are you betrothed now, liebes Fräulein? Ach, I am sure of it.' but Bernardine smiled and shook her head, and went to greet the others who crowded around them, and at last poor Katharina drew near too, holding Bernardine's hand lovingly within her own. Then Hans, Liza's lover, came upon the scene, and Liza told the disagreeable man that she and Hans were to be married in a month's time, and the disagreeable man, much to Bernardine's amazement, 
drew from his pocket a small parcel which he confided to liza's care every one pressed round her while she opened it and found what she had so often wished for a silver watch and chain ach she cried how heavenly how all the girls here will envy me how angry my dear friend susanna will be then there were the photographs to be examined liza looked with stubborn disapproval on the pictures of herself in her working dress but she did not conceal her admiration of the portraits which showed her to the world in her best finery ach she cried this is something like a photograph the disagreeable man grunted but behaved after the fashion of a hero claiming however a little silent sympathy from bernardine it was a pleasant homely scene and bernardine who felt quite at her ease amongst these people chatted away with them as though she had known them all her life then frau steinhardt suddenly remembered that her guests needed some food and liza was dispatched to her duties as cook though it was some time before she could be induced to leave off looking at the photographs take them with you liza said the disagreeable man then we shall get our meal all the quicker she ran off laughing and finally bernardine found herself alone with katharina liza is very happy she said to bernardine she loves and is loved that is the greatest happiness bernardine said half to herself fraulein knows katharina asked eagerly bernardine looked wistfully at her companion no katharina she said i have only heard and read and seen then you cannot understand katharina said almost proudly but i understand she spoke no more after that but took up her knitting and watched bernardine playing with the kittens she was playing with the kittens and she was thinking and all the time she felt conscious that this peasant woman stricken in mind and body was pitying her because that great happiness of loving and being loved had not come into her life it had seemed something apart from her she had never even wanted it she had wished to stand alone like a little rock out at sea and now in a few minutes the disagreeable man and she sat down to their meal in spite of her excitement liza managed to prepare everything nicely though when she was making the omelette au fine herb she had to be kept guarded lest she might run off to have another look at the silver watch and the photographs of herself in her finest frock then bernardine and robert allison drank to the health of hans and liza and then came the time of reckoning when he was paying the bill frau steinhardt having given him the change said coaxingly last time you and fraulein each paid a share to-day you pay all then perhaps you are betrothed at last dear herr allitson ach how the old housefrau wishes you happiness who deserves to be happy if it is not our dear herr allitson you have given me twenty centimes too much he said quietly you have your head so full of other things that you cannot reckon properly but seeing that she looked troubled lest she might have offended him he added quickly 
when i am betrothed good little old house mother you shall be the first to know and she had to be content with that she asked no more questions of either of them but she was terribly disappointed there was something a little comical in her disappointment but robert allitson was not amused at it as he had been on a former occasion as he leaned back in the sledge with the same girl for his companion he recalled his feelings he had been astonished and amused and perhaps a little shy and a great deal relieved that she had been sensible enough to be amused too and now they had been constantly together for many months he who had never cared before for companionship had found himself turning more and more to her and now he was going to lose her he looked up once or twice to make sure that she was still by his side she sat there so quietly at last he spoke in his usual gruff way have you exhausted all your eloquence in your oration about learned women he asked no i am reserving it for a better audience she answered trying to be bright but she was not bright i believe you came out to the country to-day to seek for cheerfulness he said after a pause have you found it i do not know she said it takes me some time to recover from shocks and mr Refold's death was a sorrow to me what do you think about death have you any theories about life and death and the bridge between them could you say anything to help one nothing he answered who could and by what means has there been no value in philosophy she asked and the meditations of learned men philosophy he sneered what has it done for us it has taught us some processes of the mind's working taught us a few wonderful things which interest the few but the centuries have come and gone and the only thing which the whole human race pants to know remains unknown our beloved ones shall we meet them and how the great secret of the universe we ask for bread and these philosophers give us a stone what help could come from them or from any one death is simply one of the hard facts of life and the greatest evil she said we weave our romances out of the next world he continued and any one who has a fresh romance to relate or an old one dressed up in new language will be listened to and welcomed that helps some people for a little while and when the charm of the romance is over then they are ready for another perhaps more fantastic than the last but the plot is always the same our beloved ones shall we meet them and how isn't it pitiful why cannot we be more impersonal these puny petty minds of ours when will they learn to expand why should we learn to be more impersonal she said there was a time when i felt like that but now i have learned something better that we need not be ashamed of being human above all of having the best human instincts love and the passionate wish for its continuance and the unceasing grief at its withdrawal there is no indignity in this nor any trace of weak-mindedness in our restless craving to know about the hereafter and the possibilities of meeting again those whom we have lost here 
it is right and natural and lovely that it should be the most important question i know that many will say that there are weightier questions they say so but do they think so do we want to know first and foremost whether we shall do our work better elsewhere whether we shall be endowed with more wisdom whether as poor mr reffold said we shall be glad to behave less like curs and more like heroes these questions come in but they can be put aside the other question can never be put on one side if that were to become possible it would only be so because the human heart had lost the best part of itself its own humanity we shall go on building our bridge between life and death each one for himself when we see that it is not strong enough we shall break it down and build another we shall watch other people building their bridges we shall imitate or criticize or condemn but as time goes on we shall learn not to interfere we shall know that one bridge is probably as good as the other and that the greatest value of them all has been in the building of them it does not matter what we build but build we must you and i and every one i have long ceased to build my bridge the disagreeable man said it is an almost unconscious process she said perhaps you are still at work or perhaps you are resting he shrugged his shoulders and the two comrades fell into silence again they were within two miles of petershoff when he broke the silence there was something wonderfully gentle in his voice you little thing he said we are nearing home and i have something to ask you it is easier for me to ask here in the free open country where the space seems to give us breathing room for our cramped lungs and minds well she said kindly and wondered what he would have to say i am a little nervous of offending you he continued and yet i trust you it is only this you said you had come to the end of your money and that you must go home it seems a pity when you are getting better i have so much more than i need i don't offer it to you as a gift but i thought if you wished to stay longer alone from me would not be quite impossible to you you could repay as quickly or as slowly as was convenient to you and i should only be grateful and he stopped suddenly the tears had gathered in bernardine's eyes her hand rested for one moment on his arm mr allison she said you did well to trust me but i could not borrow money of any one unless i was obliged if i could of any one it would have been you it is not a month ago since i was a little anxious about money my remittances did not come i thought then that if obliged to ask for temporary help i should come to you so you see if you have trusted me i too have trusted you a smile passed over the disagreeable man's face one of his rare beautiful smiles supposing you change your mind he said quietly you will not find that i have changed mine then a few minutes brought them back to petershoff end of chapter 17